Thank you, Brother Tim, and thank you to our praise team, instrumentalists, etc. And uh, wasn't it good to have the Junkyard Quartet sing today, huh? <laughs> I've already had a suggestion we're going to have a gospel singing. I'm not a gospel music fan, but we're going to have a gospel singing. And I know some of you hate me for that, but you'll just have to get over it. Uh, that's just the way it is. But we will have, we're going to have one of those. In fact, we've got several surprises up our sleeve for that in the days ahead that you don't even know about. But I'm glad you're here today. I want to welcome those who are listening over the internet and those who are here, obviously. God bless you for being here on this day as we close out a summer, a hot, long summer. I want to begin with a little story that uh, may or may not be true. But a woman moved to a new community and her neighbor uh, recommended a certain uh, pharmacist, pharmacy, and she went there and found the service to be less than good. And the man was abrupt and rude, or she felt like he was. And so she went back to her neighbor and just really just said, that guy was terrible, he was rude, the customer service was awful, and I hope that you'll tell him the way I feel. Well, the next time she went in, she found him to be attentive, friendly. He offered to assist her in anything she needed, even offered to help her get to know other people around the town. So she went back to her neighbor and she said, well, I reckon you told him how I felt. The neighbor said, no, I told him you thought that he had one of the best places in town. I told him that you thought he had done a great job building up a small business in difficult times. I told him you were wonderful. I, I, told, I, I told him that you thought he was wonderful. Well, what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is people often respond to us the way we expect them to respond to us. They tend to respond to us the way we expect it and sometimes the way we have think they're going to. And that's what happened in this instance. Uh, the incredible change was a little bit due to trickery, but it was real nonetheless. Cute story. But I'm firmly convinced that many of us relate to God in an inaccurate way. We've heard things about Him that simply are not true. And we relate to God based on misperception. And I'm not going to use trickery today to try to get you to think a different way about God. I'm going to tell you the truth about what God is like and how He feels about you. Do you hear me? So I want you to know this today. It's a different kind of message, different kind of sermon. I don't want it to be too academic. And in scholarly world, we would say pedantic. You have to look that one up. I don't want it to be that way, but I want you to know some things about what God is really like, and how He feels about you. Because there have been some very inaccurate things said about God. And I believe the evil one that we talked about earlier in the commissioning time, I believe the evil one has had great victories in making people think wrong things about God. And there are many of us who think of God, for some reason, as some kind of benevolent deity who set the world in motion then left us alone. Others of you may think of God as some tyrannical tyrant who does nothing. He loves to put you under his thumb and crush you. 
There are others of us that think of God as some kind of benevolent grandfather who doles out good things, but who never says no to us. And sometimes papas are that way. But God is none of those things. He may have aspects of some of them, but He is none of those things. And I believe the evil one has had great victory in helping people to think wrong things about what God is like. So, I want to show you the truth. First of all, this morning I want you to see what God is like. I want you to see what God is really like. Again, a lot of things said about God are not true. Not true at all. Just not so. And I've heard many ideas being espoused that are totally inaccurate. But aren't you glad that we have a book, his autobiography, where he tells us what he's like and he shows us what he is like. I'm thankful for that. And even in our text for today, and I want you to go ahead and look for it, Look it up, Isaiah, our first text, we're going to use three. But the first one, the most powerful one, is in Isaiah 40, verse 12. In this text, Isaiah says some great things about God, by the way, all throughout the entirety of the book of Isaiah. But in this particular text, he answers a rhetorical question. And he, in essence, says, if I were a human being like you, but I'm not. Here's how big I am. If I were like you in human form, here's something I could do. I'm not like you, but if I were, here's what I could do. Now I want you to look at this text as God describes himself. And it's almost as if he's helping us visualize him in an anthropomorphic or human way. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Who has marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in the measure or weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in scales? So God is saying, I'm not like you, but if I were, here's what I'm like. So I want you to realize, first of all, that first phrase in, in verse 12 is so powerful. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Now what does that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you what that means and what that involves. All the waters of the earth, I could hold them in my hand. And I believe he would also say, I could hold them in the palm of my hand and not spill any. What a, what a, how much water is that? Well, let's pretend. Let's go on a trip, okay? I want you to go with me down to Charleston, which used to be called Charlestown, by the way. First capital of South Carolina. It's where the First Baptist Church is. Uh, founded in like 1640. Oldest Baptist church in the South. It's still there. A friend of mine pastors it. Some people are charter members that are still there. You'll catch that in just a minute. But anyway, let's say we could go to Charleston, go to the Atlantic Ocean, closest one to us, and say we had a bucket. Now, not the kind of bucket you're thinking of. This would have to be a real big bucket. Suppose you had a bucket that was one mile wide, one mile long, one mile deep. It could pick up a cubic mile of water in one bucket. 
Now, there is no bucket in the world that big. You know that. But just imagine with me, you had a container, a bucket, that big, one mile long, one mile wide, one mile deep, one cubic mile. Do you know how many times you would have to dip that into the port of Charleston before you emptied the Atlantic Ocean? You'd have to dip it 85 million times just to get the water out of the Atlantic Ocean. And oh, by the way, God said, I can hold that in the palm of my hand, not spill a drop. And oh, by the way, the Atlantic Ocean holds only 40% of the water found in the Pacific Ocean. And scientists tell us that that combined together is just one half of the water on this earth. Under the earth, in the sky, in the rivers, in the ice caps. So the amount of water is, is just beyond human comprehension. But God said what? I can hold it right there in the palm of my hand. Who is like that? God said that's how big I am. But he goes on, doesn't he? Not only can I hold the waters in the palm of my hand, what else does he say? He says, who is marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Well, you have to go look up what span is. You know what a span is? That's right, BJ. It is a Hebrew man's, the distance between his thumb and his extended forefinger. He said, hold your hand up like this. He said, I can put the whole heavens in that space right there. You say, well, what is that? Is that a big deal? Well, I want you to go on another trip with me, okay? We have to get in a spaceship for this one. And we have to go to the sun. Let's start at the sun, which is the center of our solar system, as Copernicus taught us. People used to think the earth was. But let's just go to the sun. Now, we'll go at night so it won't burn your eyes, okay? Stay with me. So we'll start off at the sun. Now, you got a spaceship. Now, people have been in space several times. You know how fast the fastest rocket ship that we have right now goes? About 25,000 miles an hour. That's faster than some of you drive on the interstate. But 25,000 miles an hour. But let me tell you how far it is if you were to go on this trip with me in this spaceship traveling about that far. If we start off at the sun, do you know how many million miles you have to go before you get to the first planet? Do you know what the first planet's name is? Anybody? Mercury. 36 million miles from the sun. It'd take you a while to go that far traveling 25,000 miles per hour. It's 36 million miles from the sun. Well, you keep going. And then you go 67 million miles and you come to a place called Venus. By the way, Venus is an inhospitable place. The Soviet Union sent an uh, unmanned spacecraft there, fortunately there. In the 60s, it lasted five days. The methane gas just ate it alive. But you keep going on out from there and you come 93 million miles and guess what you find? We'll pass by Earth. You can wave to your mom and your daddy as we pass by Earth. That's 93 million miles. You keep going. 136 million miles is planet Mars. Double that distance and you get to Jupiter. 
And by the way, to get to the uttermost edge of our solar system and find the tiny rock, it's about the size of our moon, the planet called Pluto, it takes 3.7 billion miles. God said, oh, that would take about that much right there. But I hold that in the span of my hand. How big is God? He said, well, it's more than that. Because the heavens, he said. Well, let's, we're going to have to go back. We're going to have to get on a different spaceship. We're going to have to get on a different spaceship. Troy, you want to come up here and help me? Would you come up here and help me? All right, come on, Monroe. Thank you. All right, you hold your finger out just like this. Okay, your thumb out too. Okay, so we get on a different spaceship. And we, oh, by the way, this spaceship travels the speed of light. Speed of light's a little faster than 25,000 miles per hour. How fast is the speed of light? 186,000 miles per second. Light travels 186,000 miles per second. So guess how long, Monroe, it takes us to get to the first star system outside our own. Traveling the speed of light, it takes 5.2 years. Traveling 186,000 miles per second. It takes 5.2 years to reach a small cluster of planets called, out, keep your finger out, Alpha Centauri. That's the, small, that's the closest one. It could have burned out. Your thumb's not out. We could have, it could have burned out five years ago, and we would not even know it yet. By the way, scientists have been able to discover about 100,000 galaxies within uh, solar systems within our own galaxy. And they know of about 100,000 galaxies beyond our galaxy. And what does God say? Hold his fingers up. God says, hold your fingers up. I can put all of that in the span of my hand. Thank you, bro. You can go back. Thank you, darling. How big is God? Our God is so big, he says, put your hand up like this. I can hold the waters in the palm of my hand. And I can hold the heavens in the span of my fingers. Is he speaking metaphorically? Well, yes, he is. But I believe it's literal also, meaning he's much bigger than anything we ever know or see. Our God is so big. And if you ever doubt God's abilities to take on your problems, don't forget, he holds all the waters in the world in the palm of his hand, doesn't spill a drop. You ever doubt God's ability to take your cares upon him? Every man, woman, boy and girl crying out to God all over the globe, 24-7. He says, I'm big enough to handle that. Because I can handle all the heavens in the span of my hand. First of all, I wanted you to know this morning what God is like. Second, I want you to know how He feels about you. Maybe this is the best part of the message. It really deals with what we've talked about before. Back to Titus 2.11, you remember? Through 14, you remember? Remember how God feels. We need to have a clear perspective about how God feels about us. In fact, that one great verse that we read and focused upon before. It says, He gave Himself for us. He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, 
all in righteousness, cleansed for himself a special people eager to do what is his own. So he wants us to do good works. He wants us to be committed to him. God in all of his glory, all of his greatness, all of his grandeur sent his son to earth so that we might have an opportunity to live with him forever. We need to remind ourselves of his greatness. But remind ourselves because of this passage that he gave himself for us. Remember that we cannot do it on our own. Remember it's not in and of ourselves possible that we can ever make it. But because of the greatness and goodness of God, He can do it for us. And this great God who identified Himself in the form of His Son Jesus Christ in verse 13 said, He he refers to the glory, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ in verse 14 said He gave Himself for us. But I want you to even personalize it even more. I want you to be able to point it yourself and say what he did, he did for me. So I've given you some hand signals today. But the last one is point it yourself. He did this for me. Remember, we're going to have it up on the screen, I think. Romans 5.8 says this. God demonstrated his own love for us. Read it out loud with me, would you please? God demonstrates, proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Isn't that great? Personalize it. He died for me. This God who can hold the waters of the world in the palm of his hand, this God who can measure the heavens by an outstretched forefinger, he loves me. And while I was still a sinner, he died for me. In response, using that same text from Titus, He wishes for us to be zealous in serving Him. Remember those last words? To cleanse for Himself a special people eager to do good works. Webster identifies zeal as an eagerness in pursuing any course of object, ardent interest, or fervor. Christ came to invite us to be a part of His kingdom work. He is a kingdom God, and He wants us to be kingdom people, and He wants us to serve Him with true enthusiasm, with true eagerness, being done with apathy and indifference to say, God, I want to serve you. I eagerly choose to serve you. There's a great deal of zeal in our world around us. There is zeal everywhere for all kinds of sports, all kinds of materialistic things. The God of gold, the God of religion's faults mostly, have made many people willing to live and die for them. But God wants us to be a people who are eager to do good works for His glory. How eager are you to serve this great God? Oh, my friends... We ask ourselves the question in closing, where are the zealots of love, helpfulness, and service? Where are you in this? I pray you'd say, Pastor, I want to be a part of that. We need to have an accurate view of who God is and how He feels about us. Never forget this next phrase. Jesus came into the world to choose, to equip, to motivate a special people who are eager to engage in doing the good things for God and for the benefit of others. And one last scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, friends, God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for you, and He's prepared it for you, and He wants you to be eager to be a part of what He's doing. Let's be kingdom people, serving a kingdom of God, a kingdom God. And I just wanted you today to know who He is and how He feels about you. Pray with me. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that we would understand how big you are. But that bigness does not imply infamiliarity. It does not in any way foster a belief that you're so big that you do not care. May today we have seen also how important it is to know what you did for us individually. So God, I pray right now during this time of invitation that we would indeed seek to know what you've done for us and respond to it by giving our lives to you. Saying, Father, I see how big you are, but I also see how you care about me. I give my life to you today. Oh, Father, may men, women, boys and girls do just that today. We love you. And we commit this time to you by committing our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're